people that are just so restricted, I think it's a misnomer that these affordable housing are just for lazy individuals, and that's unfair. Hello and welcome to Job Speakers. My name is Rob Hendrickson. I am the host. You know, one of the slogans we use is we work for over 40 years. Why not get it right? And Tamara West, as our guest today, shows what that means and really walks through her career and what she's done uh, to get it right, starting in the banking field and then moving into a place where she can make a difference in people's lives. So I think you'll really enjoy the episode. Stick around until the end. I have a real treat for you. Our next guest is a home inspector. And what I've done is I've begun to share with you a a clip from one of those all-time grossest moments as a home inspector. So you you might enjoy that. And of course, come back next week to hear the whole episode. Let's jump into this week's episode with, uh, with Tamara. And uh, again, I hope you enjoy and I hope you get some value out of this for you, uh, for your friends, for your colleagues, and for your careers. Thanks so much. Tamara, w- welcome to the show. Thank you. What do you do for a job? Currently, I'm the Housing and Neighborhood Development Manager in Polk County um, over a division of 19. What does that mean on a day-to-day basis? So give us a sense for a typical day. Or maybe a couple so, typical days if, if there's such a thing. All right. So I can give you an overview of the department as a whole. So a typical day in the housing office um, consists of people getting assistance for rental assistance. We help clients that are in dilapidated homes rebuild their homes. Um, we do repairs for septic and sewers. Um, we also have a component of, um, we actually have all the grants. So all of the federal and state housing related grants we house. ESG, emergency, um, which is Emergency Solutions Grant, Community Development Block Grant, um, Home Funds, the State SHIP Funds. So with that, we have a lot of requirements in regards to meeting timeliness, expenditures. Um, there is a lot of value in what we do because we are actually are helping low to moderate income clients. So everyone has to be income-based um, and meet those qualifications. But some of the components that people don't know is we have a huge um, portion of contract management where we actually provide funding to nonprofit partners. And that can consist of elderly programs, youth programs, education programs. So it's, it's a mixed bag. So when we state housing and neighborhood development, it encompasses a lot of things. We do parks and neighborhood improvements, street resurfacings, um, drainage projects. So there's, there's a lot that goes into what my operation does. What would you consider to be a really good week? So you've worked all week, you're heading okay. home. In, in your world, what, what makes you uh, feel like, again, it was, it was a great week? Okay, a great week for us is knowing that we actually serve clients. And we are dealing with a lot of people that are elderly and some of them that have disabilities. So what we're doing is we're providing them stability in housing. And that is vital to anybody's mental health and ability just just to function. You know, when you don't have a a safe haven, it's very hard to operate. So we get a lot of clients that are very thankful and appreciative of the funding that the state and federal government provides that are administered by my office. So a good week for us is actually getting people housed in one capacity or another. So that's, you know. In your role, do you, 
only hear about those people being housed? Do you get a chance to actually get outside the office? I go out. I go to the um, I go to the closings. I actually walk through with the clients and I actually ask the survey. So I want them to be able to tell me what was good and what was bad. You know, you do have clients that are just, you know, just crying, but there are some are like, well, I wish I could have had a, a counter, a, you know, a granite countertop, but you know, you're going to get that or whatever. Um, but we still have to make it affordable. So, you know, our price point has to be affordable so that we can serve as many clients as we possibly can. Um, I go out actually on Monday, I did a groundbreaking for a, um, a new development called Vermont Place. It's for a homeless um, individuals that are trying to transition from transitional housing to permanent housing. Our, um, our office um, provided 125000 out of a $900,000 project. So we do a lot. What would you say is the largest stereotype that exists about the clients you serve? Well, I, <laughs> that's funny you should ask that. Um, one of the stereotypes is they think that the clients are not hardworking. They think that they're um, just privileged, and that's not the case. Many of these clients have been paying property taxes for years. Their income is only $1,000 a month for everything. And so if you take that, you can't, you, you can't even afford to make repairs to your home. I mean, just recently, my AC went out and my pool pump went out. And so people that are just so restricted I think it's a misnomer that these affordable housing are just for lazy individuals, and that's unfair. My guess is you do a lot with what you have. What frustrates you about maybe not doing even more? Well, the biggest frustration is um, the funding at times. We're with the state this year and for multiple years, um, we're earmarked a certain amount of funding. We're supposed to get anywhere from five to $6 million, but the trust fund has been weighted for other purposes. And some of those purposes have been really important, but there is a mandated amount that's supposed to go to affordable housing. And so we're not serving the clients that the fund was intended for. And so we have long waiting lists and clients get frustrated when they're sitting on these lists for a year or two. So it's, it's unfortunate and there's no other, there's no other stream of money to supplement to be able to cover those things. So we have to be very um, rigorous of what we have. So it's mostly it's the funding, just not having enough for the demand. So that's a really good overview of your group, your department, what you do, who you serve. Let's talk a little bit about your job specifically. Okay. What are you, what are you in your role evaluated against? What are you expected to do from a performance standpoint? Well, um, I actually have benchmarks in regards to projects that I'm doing. So this year, we I've done two new projects for Polk County for our new construction project where we're um, doing infill lots. We're doing new construction in two different pods of Polk County. Polk County, unlike um, Hillsboro, where I was prior, um, has 17 municipalities, and it's hard to serve all of these different um, towns, Mulberry, Fort Meade, and how do you balance that out? So what we're trying to do is expand our scope and do more than what we do had done before. Another project that I did was um, 
public facilities improvements. Polk County had not done that in the past. And some of the things that I brought over, some of the things that had been done in the past in Hillsboro, but I'm just trying to expand the possibilities and not just do what has been done in the past. Um, the unfortunate part of the affordable housing that Polk County had been done, doing in the past is we were only really focused on people that already had housing and restoring that. So how do you get people that want to buy um, a first brand new home, not just for down payment assistance, but a new model? And you can't, you can't create new units if you're only just doing rehabs. You know, how, how are you adding new units? So we also have been working with multifamily developers for rental properties. Um, they had not done a, a new rental property in 10 years. So I'm kind of divided in a lot of different directions and I'm just kind of throwing out my, um, my hook to try to see what's gonna work. Some of them are still in pilot form, um, but I'm pretty hopeful that it will be successful. Domain Homes actually um, built about 65 homes in the city of um, Tampa, and they are the awarded ones for the new construction project. So again, zeroing in a little bit on, on you in, in your job, I have oh. two, two questions for you. What is your, okay. what is your superpower? And, okay. and what is your kryptonite when it comes to you performing at your job? Well, my superpowers, am, I'm really flexible. I can adjust and I can see the big picture. Um, some of the things that I find a challenge for me for the kryptonite is the red tape. And sometimes governmental strings um, come with delays. And it's not that I want to cut any corners, but I feel like some of the layers are hindrance to actually serving the clients that we need to serve. Um, and it could be certain regulations or just, you know, when we have to do extra steps for getting impact fee waivers. Um, so I, I do get, not frustrated, but I, I wish we could move faster. Maybe it could be a little bit more seamless to get these clients served faster. If someone out there listening maybe has had an interest in what you do mm -hmm. and has now heard you summarize it really well, what does that person need to know uh, before making a leap into a job like yours? Okay, so my specific job as the housing manager, I mean, before I got here, I was a budget analyst with the city of Tampa and I've actually had multiple roles there. Um, as high as a supervisor. Um, then I became a fiscal manager. But if you're going back to just housing, there's divisions within housing, okay? We have our rehab inspectors side where they go out and they inspect the projects. We have a finance division that they do all of our tracking of all our payments. We have a planning division that prepares all the documents that are required to make us compliant. We have contract managers that manage all the contracts that we award funds to. And then, you know, we have some administrative staff as well. So it kind of just depends on what your interests are. Some of them do require degrees. Um, some of them require an associate's, but there are some housing technicians that you can do it right out of high school. Um, you just need to have the ability to help and want to serve citizens. If we were in a time machine, and found you running around the yard at, say, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And we mm -hmm. asked that young girl, Tamara, wh what do you want to do when you grow up? What would the answer have been? At 10 and 11, I thought that I was going to be a lawyer. I felt like I was a, a 
good debater. And I, um, I don't know, I just felt like that was something that I wanted to do. Later on, I kind of got into more of the fiscal accounting background. Um, I do like structure, um, but I do like to have some flexibility. So I think the only reason the lawyer dream kind of went away is because they said I had to be in school for like eight years. And I said, I don't know if I want to make that kind of commitment. Eight years seemed like a lot of time back then. So yeah, at the, at the ripe old age of 12, that's, yeah, that's a lot to, yeah, that seemed like a handle. lot. That seemed overwhelming to me at that time, but you know, would I have been a good lawyer? Maybe. I, um, I had a dad who insisted that I become a lawyer, so I told myself I would until I realized I had no interest in it, um, and yeah. uh, he didn't get it, but he was happy in the end. Okay, so you talked about when you were, when you were 12, thinking about going into the law. Do me a favor for us. You know, we mm -hmm. all have different career journeys, mm -hmm. and those paths are unique to every individual. Summarize mm -hmm. for me. Uh, maybe you can you can leapfrog from 12 years old, but when you started working, can you kind of summarize for me and our listeners the path that got you to, to where you are now? Okay, so right out of college, um, I started working for Bank of America, and it was Nations Bank and all of that. So I was a business banker. I used to take calls um, in a call center setting. Um, I did that actually while I was a little bit in college, and um, the very first year that I left. Um, after that, I became a trust officer with Bank of America, where I actually was dealing with the states. Um, I did that for about a year. And both my parents work for Orange County government. And I always kind of had in the back of my head that I wanted to work for local government. I didn't know why, but I just kind of had that feeling that I wanted to serve. So, so I applied for the job with the city of Tampa at the ripe age of 24. And I became a budget analyst one. And in that journey, I actually had a lot of stepping stones. I became a two, I became a trainer, I became a supervisor and then a lead fiscal analyst before I left um, there. And I was there for 11 years. Um, from there, actually, Bonnie Wise um, actually recruited me to come over to Hillsborough County. And she had worked with me before in the grants environment. And um, she knew I had the ability so I became the fiscal manager over a division of four accountants in accounting techs. So I did that for a period of seven years in the affordable housing office. Um, from there, um, I had started seeing, I, I really started enjoying the whole aspect of helping people and affordable housing and such. And even though I, my path started as more of a fiscal finance person, I knew I had the strong planning background and I knew I had strong compliance. Now, the only thing that I kind of was weak on, I didn't know how to do rehab but per se. I'm not like a, I don't know how to build a house kind of thing, but all the other elements I knew that I could do. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to take this leap. And I went over to Polk County about a year and a half ago and I'm running that department. When you look back at all of those different changes and moves, do you have any regrets? No, actually, I don't. Um, I felt like it was a succession. All those steps got me to where I'm at now. My very first boss in the city of Tampa, her name is Barbara Barkhurst. Um, and I always thought that Barbara was tough. You know, I thought that she was, you know, being mean. I'm not, I may have been a little naive, 24 or whatever, but she would never let me um, come to her without doing all my research. You know, so I had to exhaust everything before I could come to her. But what it taught me is how to resolve things on my own. 
you know? And so I have that ability. I'm not a person that waits for somebody to tell me to do something. I do it on my own. Now I might get direction to say, hey, do it this way, but I don't wait for somebody to tell me how to do things. And I really learned some great lessons under her leadership. And um, yeah, but looking back at it, I always thought like, you know, why is she being so mean to me? She could have just gave me this answer, but it, it helped me in the long run. I'm, I'm smiling because when we're young, we, we work, maybe work for people like her. Mm-hmm. I remember my first boss at Anderson Consulting, her name was Ina Lawrence, and she was, I had the same reaction you did. Mm-hmm. And why is she picking on me? She's so hard on me. But looking back, you know, those mentors, those bosses who, you know, who are good leaders, they push us. And then one day we come out the other side, right? And we now know right. a lot more and we have confidence and we realize they okay. had something going there. Correct. And I've done a lot of different leadership programs over the years. And there's value into learning to be independent and not being just somebody that's told or, yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it's helped me in my career for sure. We just talked about mentoring. We talked about learning. Can you think back, it could be recent, it could be in the past, but can you think back to a story where you maybe failed a little bit, but came out the other end stronger and better? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave the names out because it's a, a little bit recent. Um, because I have been, you know, promoted and people have always saw that I was a hard, dedicated worker. You know, I always thought that that was enough. And you do come across people, no matter what, that may have um, some insecurities or some challenges with just you as a person. And it has nothing to do with your work. And so for me, I was trying to overcompensate. I was trying to figure out, well, how can I please this person? And then I came to the epiphany is I can't please this person. I have to please me. And so my journey from leaving from one career or a location to another was basically from that experience. I felt like I was strong enough to do it and I had gotten into a comfort place. And sometimes you got to get out of that comfort zone and take the next leap. And I'm really grateful that I'm running a whole de- department now. If that person would not have been there, I probably would have stayed in Wait. that comfort zone. Good for you. I think generally speaking, that that might be a good lesson for everyone to evaluate their position where they are. And if comfort is the thing that's keeping them there, ask a hard question about, is that good? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about when you moved over to Polk County. It's always, I was going to say challenging, but that doesn't necessarily mean bad, but it's always Mm -hmm. a challenge to join a new organization. You don't really know anyone. You don't really know the culture. Tell, tell us how, how you navigated that, what it was like, and what you did to maybe, um, it seems like you've done well, but maybe describe that period of time for us. Okay, so I've been there for a little over a year and a half, and to be honest, I was like a fish out of water because I had worked in Hillsboro in the city of Tampa for that long period of time, 18 years I had been over there, and I kind of knew that landscape and everything. So even though I had been a resident of Polk County, I was commuting. So I didn't know their structure. I didn't know the players. I didn't know, you know, I didn't even really know the commissioners to that degree. So it was kind of an adjustment for me. But one of the things that 
helped me is my director, Marsha Andreessen. She said, Tamara, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in this Emerging Leaders Program. And what that did is it gave me a quick start to kind of learn the organization in a very short amount of time. So I started on November the 26th by the, I think it was the 1st of January. I had started that, that program until August or June. And so in that six month time, it helped me to learn the organization. So I learned every director. I learned, um, I learned just how they operated, and that was very helpful to me. One thing about going back to budget, I always advise people if they get into government, start in the budget office because the budget office knows everything. And that, <laughs> truthfully, it's they, so they do. Um, I mean, they're just like the, that little in-between. They're like the mini chief staffs because they know all the components of what's going on. So that emerging leaders, if you can get into any leadership program in a new organization right away to learn the players, that was, would be helpful. So that is what helped me in Polk County. How long did it take you from, from when you started during what sounds like an absorption or listening phase? How much time passed? You, before you felt like you were starting to make uh, an impact and an imprint with your, with your personal priorities, your leadership experience, and, and all the reasons why they hired you? Well, I, I don't think it took me that long because even though I, I've been in leadership roles now for half of my career, at least 10 years, but the Emerging Leaders class taught me some things about being more authentic and having empathy. So they gave us little checklists and things to use. So I was using those as case studies. So I would go back and I would say, okay, so let me, let me not do it the way that I would do it before. Let me try to, it was like a star. And then you kind of did these little points or whatever, and it really helped me. So my, my team started seeing that I, I saw their value. So I would always ask them, you know, how are you feeling? You know, and not being overly mushy kind of thing, but just really trying to connect with them relatively quickly. We started having monthly meetings. Um, we also started doing these retreats where I would sponsor a breakfast or lunch or whatever. So we could all just build together. So we started doing vision boards and, um, we did a scavenger hunt in the office and just like little fun things to connect to people. And they said that they had not had that with the previous leadership. And so I was earning their trust. And so um, I think that that's been very helpful um, and not just try to, you know, I think people get management and leadership confused. And um, I hate to say this, anybody can be a manager, uh, but a leader is something totally different. And until you understand that, um, you know, you, as a leader, you have to morph to the environments. And I just feel like some people just want to do this, this standard thing, not, a, not adjusting to their um, employees. When you talked about your checklist, I, I could tell my listeners can't see you, but how, how much effort you put into making sure, right? Yeah, I just wanted to, I, I am, um, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a perfectionist, but I try to, I'm a good steward. And so I try to do what's outlined. So apparently somebody's tested this and they've studied this. And so it's, it's, it's solid, I have to say, you know, right. So maybe my thoughts may have been wrong because I felt like, you know, there were some things that I, I thought I knew. And, and I think I was a little weak on empathy um, in my prior leadership model. So. You just answered my next question, which is what is this, what is the leadership thing you're still working on or feel is the thing you could improve the most? Would you say that is empathy? 
I think empathy was one of the things that I didn't realize that I was actually just missing. And it wasn't that I didn't care about people. I just felt like I, I'm, I'm 44, but I know that some people that are a little bit older than me, a little bit younger than me have different values in regards to, I just felt like you go to work, it's your responsibility, you do your job. I, I don't complain about my work, but there are people that need that extra encouragement. They might be having something going on personally at home that infects them or impacts them. But for me, I can try to block that out because this is work and that's home, but some people can't. And so I have to know how to maneuver and now so that I can make them the most effective employee that I can, you know, things happen. People have deaths, health issues or whatever, but when people know that you're actually concerned about them, there's some value there. And, and I think I needed to learn that lesson. You worked part of your career in the commercial sector before you moved over. And it sounds like you went to the city of Tampa and then your, your county work. Mm -hmm. So I know that your banking background is a bit in the past, but if you can recall that time, how would you describe the, the difference in sort of workplace culture in a commercial enterprise versus a public sector one? Well, I have to say there's a lot of disconnects. You don't really have a tie to the president of Bank of America. Um, even when I was working in the trust office, I mean, there are probably about 30 of us, but there wasn't a, it wasn't a, the team moradery. It, it was a whole different feel to me, to be honest. And I, I don't ever see myself going back to the private sector. Um, and if I do, it'll be a long time coming. But even when I was a budget analyst and I wasn't directly in housing, when I worked um, arts, arts and natural resources, I could go and see Robin Nye's projects. I knew that I did the budget amendments for those items. I had a connection to those items. When you're in a, a corporate environment, there's no direct connection. You might serve a client over the phone or you might work on their account. You called them once or twice, but there is this, you know what, I, I'll bring it like this. Okay, you know when you go into an emergency room, they, they have volume, right? And they just see volume of people, but there's no connection. But like if you're in a nursing home, you're seeing the same kind of consistent people over and over. My husband's a nurse, okay. So, but, but there's no connection when you're in the emergency room that you see these people one time and that's it. And there is value in public sector to me. And I, I just, I enjoy it. I think, um, I appreciate that answer. I moved into public sector very late in my career, only five years ago. And, you know, the whole notion of, does your job get you out of bed in the morning is one that I think if, if people out there are thinking about public sector employment, if you do it right and you do it well and you work hard and you, and you care, I think there's a really big upside for people and that's worth saying, right? Because I think there, again, there are a lot of stereotypes about public sector work right. just as, as there is for everything. So, so thanks for that. I appreciate it. And uh, you mentioned your, your, your husband's a nurse. Hopefully he's weathering this crazy COVID time. They are doing really well. They just got their first case last week and it's double. It's kind of, they've had, they went from one to about eight in a week. Um, but they, they're doing pretty well. He's all geared up. He has like a, like a fireman, uh, mask and the, the whole blue tarp thing. They're like, they're not, they're taking it seriously. That's good. That's good. So let me, let me, um, end this with a question I ask everyone. If, if, as you reflect on all of your work experiences over your life, 
Mm-hmm. Um, what career advice would you give to the entire world to hear? Hmm. That's, I might be stuck on that one. So say it, say it again. So what advice would I give to the entire world on my career decisions? Well, just career advice. So you've, you've navigated a career now for 20 years, 20 years, 20 years. You did say your age, so I'm, I'm not running into any dangerous waters there, but Mm-mm. based on what you've learned about yourself, about the jobs you've had, about the decisions you've made, um, what career advice would you give anyone listening right now um, okay. based on your experiences? Okay. So for me, um, you do have to find something that you're somewhat passionate about. It can't just be about the money. And um, if you are wanting to be a servant, I would say public sector definitely would be uh, an avenue, but you know, everybody doesn't kind of map out their lives in a way that they can see it from here to there. And to be honest, I was one of those kids. I mapped out when I was going to get married, when I was going to have kids. Now all the stuff didn't happen the exact way, but I always had a plan. And so it's important to have a plan. And even if that plan changes, it's fine. Um, but just, just find something that you're passionate about. Um, so that you can enjoy getting up to go to work. I mean, sometimes right now we have all this new money and I'm appreciative of it because we're serving thousands of people. But some days it can be overwhelming with the demand, the calls. But ultimately, I know that I'm here to help and to serve. Perfect. Thank you for your time. You're a trooper. I reached out to you and you didn't hesitate to say yes. No, I was excited. So this is, this is really good. And I, I really do think the public sector conversation that you brought to this is uh, important. It really is important. So uh, again, um, thank you. And I'll let you know, you know, when we, uh, when we get the podcast up. All right. I'll be sharing it to everybody. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Have a good one. <laughs> you too. You know, as I sit here, you know, pulling this podcast together, my, my first thought is, you know, this is a lot of work. But that's a small thought compared to the fact that I get the chance to rehear what our job speakers guests have to say. And in the case uh, of today's episode, I have to admit I'm inspired. You know, I just love hearing from successful people, their passion, their focus, their lessons, their paths. And uh, Tamara, thanks so much for joining us. Everything you said Uh, matters. And it just doesn't matter to those who maybe are interested in affordable housing or even helping people through public sector work. If you're listening to this because you're trying to find your career path, don't just listen for what the job is. Listen for what the person speaking says. Because success has so many flavors, right? It can manifest itself in any job. There are people who find happiness and take care of their families and do things ranging from plumbing to professors to politicians. There are so many options. So it is inspiring. And the good news is when it comes time to pull the episodes together, I'm reminded this is important work. And I'm really excited that I can be part of it uh, for you and, and for your friends and your family. As someone who's had a foot in the blue collar world for a long time and the white collar world for part of it as well, I love bouncing between jobs and really trying to bring variety to the podcast. 
Now's the time to share the beginnings of a story from our next week's guest who talks about his grossest moment uh, as a home inspector. Have a listen. The the nastiest thing that happened to me, all right? <laughs> uh, whirlpool tubs. You have to you have to fill those up and test them, right? And we were at this house in uh, Colchester and it was the house wasn't like a home they had it set up like a spa i don't know about you but my home is most certainly not a spa and it also doesn't have the gross story ending you'll need to hear when you come back next week again thanks for spending your time with us i love the idea uh, that you guys are enjoying this and getting value from it please stay in touch i know i try to sort of pitch what we do and, and get you involved on our Facebook page and Twitter, but I'd really you know, rather have you just tell people and I'd rather uh, make an impact. So with all that said, uh, be good, be safe, be well, and until next time, uh, goodbye.